There is an old fable in which three apprentice demons were talking to Satan. They were to finish their apprenticeship by going to earth to tempt and ruin humankind. The first demon said to Satan, I will tell people there is no God. Satan replied, that will not fool many because they know there is a God. The second demon said, I will tell them there is no hell. Satan said, you will never fool many that way because they know there is a hell. The third demon said, I will tell people there is no hurry. To which Satan replied, go for you will ruin millions. While a fable, there is much truth to those words. There is no hurry. A Gallup poll conducted in the U.S. just last year revealed the following results. 89%, that's almost 9 out of 10 of people uh, uh, surveyed, believe in God just as the fable su suggests. That's incredible. 9 out of 10. 61%, almost two-thirds, believe in a devil. 71% believe in heaven, while 64% believe in hell. I just found it kind of humorous that we like to believe in the positive things, but not so much the other ones. <laughs> but look at those numbers. It seems Satan in the fable was right. Telling people these things don't exist will not fool many. The vast majority of Americans believe in God, however it is that they define him. About two-thirds or more believe in the, in the devil, heaven, and, and hell. And yet, the same survey also gave these results. Only about half of those surveyed say religion plays an important part in, the, in their lives. And over 60% of those same people, that is the vast majority of people who believe in heaven, hell, and 90% of which believe in God, over 60% attend church once a month or less. You see, there is no hurry. I believe in God, but he's just not that important to my life. The fable contains this truth. People generally believe in God. They believe in heaven. They even believe in hell. But, but f very few live like it. Very few live like they will ever meet God or give an account to him. There is no hurry. In our study of Mark, we find ourselves at the end of the Olivet Discourse. It's Tuesday evening of Passion Week. I, I will remind you that Jesus will die on Friday. He's about to return to heaven, and these are some of his final thoughts as he leaves his disciples. And, and we have found that one of his major concerns as they, is that, that they and, frankly, we be prepared for what is to come that we are prepared for his return, that we are prepared for heaven, that we are prepared to meet God because there is a day of reckoning coming. John chapter 14, uh, what has been called the farewell discourse in John's gospel. When Jesus says goodbye to his disciples on Thursday night, the, the night of his betrayal, the night of his death, he shares some of these very same thoughts. He shares that. Uh, he starts that discourse with these words. Do, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. I find that interesting. You, you believe in God. Good. Lots of people do. But because you do do this, 
In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Well, one of the last things he told them on that Thursday evening was this, I'm coming back. Don't lose sight of that truth. Be prepared. You see, it seems Jesus was fully aware of the distractions of this life, of the pull of sin and self. Don't be distracted. Keep your eyes fully fixed on the hope to be revealed, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Olivet Discourse was precipitated by the disciples' question, namely, when is it going to happen, that is, the destruction of the temple, and what will be the sign of your coming? Remember, they thought those two one event, and, and so that as a result, they were excited. They spent time with Jesus. They'd seen him do miracles. They'd heard his teaching. They were beginning, just beginning, to understand who he was. They were excited about his coming. When will you come and, and reveal yourself to the world? We know who you are, Jesus. When are you going to tell everybody else? Uh, when's it going to be, oh boy, oh boy? They were excited, much like, well, much like when we first came to faith in Christ. Remember that? The joy, the excitement of what the Christian life held, the anticipation of things to come. But it's been a few years now, hasn't it? Just like it would be for the disciples. Where is this coming? He promised. Jesus is saying, don't lose, don't lose track of the promise. So my question for you this morning is, have you been lured by the attraction of sin and self? Have you been distracted by the demands of life and the attractions of, of life? Have you believed the lie? There is no hurry. The big question, do you live like you believe that Jesus is coming back? In, in what way has that affected the way that you live? When will these things be, Jesus? He, he answered their questions through Mark chapter 13. There, there will be signs prior to the destruction of the temple, and frankly, I think through the church age, to make you long for my coming. False cries, wars, rumors of war, earthquakes, famines, pestilences, tribulations, persecution. But, but the end is not yet. These are just the beginning of birth pangs. So, so, so don't be deceived. Don't, don't believe it when you, when you hear a false Christ. Don't be de deceived by any great signs and wonders that they will perform to mislead many. You will know my coming when you see it, and so will everyone else. Just like lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, that's Matthew's gospel, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. The sign of the Son of Man will, will appear in the sky, and they will see him coming in the clouds uh, of the sky with power and great glory. Then will come that long-anticipated event when the trumpet will sound and the angels will gather the, the elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. The point is so that not one will be missing. Th that day is, is coming. Even if we're dead, <laughs> even if we're dead when it happens, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of, of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then, then we who are alive and remain will be gathered together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The day is coming. Here's my question. Are you ready or are you distracted? 
How do, how do people around you know that you're longing for the coming of Christ? He wants us to be ready. This is the purpose of the Olivet Discourse. <laughs> that we've, but we've even managed to be distracted from, from that main purpose and allow the Olivet Discourse to divide us. Let me remind you of the outline of the chapter, which, by the way, follows rather closely a number of my commentaries. They don't, I shared with you, they don't agree necessarily with some of the minor divisions, but after careful study, the following outline emerges. We, we saw the coming of the um, destruction of the temple in those first 23 verses, and then the coming of Christ, and, and then a parable concerning that coming destruction last week, and a parable this morning concerning the coming of Christ. Now, again, last week we, we looked at the parable of the fig tree, which stressed the importance of, of watching the road signs, of being alert and being prepared for the coming destru- destruction. Now, I and frankly most others think that Jesus switches topics back to being prepared for his return in the last few verses of Mark chapter 13. Look at that with me. Mark 13, verses 32 to the end of the chapter say this. I I know I told you that this generation will will not pass away until all of this is fulfilled. That is the destruction of the temple. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey upon who upon leaving his house and and putting his slaves in charge assigned to each one his task also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, four disciples, I, I say to all, he's saying it to us, be on the alert. This is our sixth sermon on the Olivet Discourse where Jesus has prophesied the destruction of the temple and, and I think his second coming. And I know about now that many of you are probably getting antsy. In fact, you might be getting downright irritable. You might think, okay, okay we get it, enough is enough. And you, and you feel like that we're stuck on one of those southern gospel music stations where every song is about crossing the Jordan, the sweet by and by in Beulah land. Heaven, grandma, and streets of gold. And when those feelings of frustration overwhelm you, I encourage you to look around at the lives of people. Your coworkers, your neighbors, maybe even your own family members. Do, do, they look, do they look ready or is there no hurry? Look around at the lives of the people in this church. Do they look do they look ready? Do, do they live like they believe that Jesus is coming back? Then take a very good look inward. Do you look ready? Do you live your life in such a way that demonstrates that you are looking for more, that you are longing for the coming of Christ? Are you in a hurry? I hope so. Well, obviously, we've not been in a hurry in these sermons. I want us to be eager, in a hurry. For the return of Christ. So John was. That's, what he, that's why he said even so. 
come quickly. Now again, most see a significant change in topic in verse 32. The first two words, but of, or could be translated, but concerning that day or hour. You see, those words were quite frequently used to signal a change in subject. And that day or that hour often speaks of the day of the Lord or His return. Most then, as they were reading this, they would have understood that. It's actually more clear in the Greek. Most agree, regardless of whether you're a preterist or a futurist, wherever you peg yourself, these verses are clearly about the return of Christ. We need to be watchful for His return for a couple of very important reasons which form our two-point outline, not three. Thank you very much, Michael. First, watchfulness is required because we don't know when Jesus is coming. We don't know. By the way, watchfulness is required because of our propensity toward distraction. Just think of your life this last week. And second, watchfulness is required because of the certainty of his coming. First, watchfulness is required because we don't know the timing of his return. As we've seen over the past several weeks, despite the proliferation of end times prognosticators and date setters, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. This week, uh, someone sent me a picture, I assume taken right here in Boone, of the back of a car, maybe you've seen it, April 5th, 2020, mark it down. And I want to tell you that he might come April 5th, 2020, probably not. We don't know. Even all of these so-called signs that get date-setters excited, Jesus said they're not really signs. They're simply events which must happen prior to the destruction and, and perhaps, I think, prior to his return. These are just birth pangs to remind us something is coming. He said it over and over. Verse 7, this is not yet the end. Verse 8, these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. The verses we just read. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not the angels in heaven, not the Son, only the Father. For you do not know, verse 33, when the appointed time will come. How many times does he have to say it? Well, verse 35, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, etc., etc., verse 26, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. Do you think that he's trying to get a point across? You don't know. Now, we actually know three things from the Olivet Discourse. <laughs> Number one, we don't know when he's coming. And number two, it could be a long time, or perhaps better said, it could be any time. But, but number three, he is coming back. Further, he, he's not giving us these signs so that we can be good sign watchers, good rapture predictors, but so that we will be prepared. We're not going to know the timing. The angels in heaven don't know. Jesus doesn't know at the day or the hour of his return. Now stop right there. A couple of thoughts about that. As we've talked about earlier, some have speculated that we may not know the day or the hour, but we can know the month or the year. I think that ridiculous. It misses the point that Jesus is teaching. The fact is you're not going to know when, so always be ready. Live your lives in such a way that when Jesus comes back, you won't be caught unaware. The fact is, here's the point, the fact is Jesus could come in your lifetime. 
Are you ready to see him? Notice something else. Jesus makes a very clear statement of his own sonship here, which implies oneness with the Father. This is the only place in Mark's gospel where Jesus refers to himself as the Son without qualification. Usually it's the Son of Man. Here he is agreeing with the Father's two statements at his baptism and at the transfiguration. This is my beloved Son. It's why Mark began his, his gospel with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and ends it with the, the, the centurion declaring, truly this was the Son of God. We're supposed to be getting this by now. But there's a challenge. How, how is it that Jesus, the Son of God and God in the flesh did not know something that is here, the timing of his return. He seemed to know the timing of the destruction just last week. He, he, he said this generation will not pass away until all is fulfilled. And I, I interpret that as referring to the temple. But, but now he says of that day and that hour of my return, no one knows, not even me. What? How can you not know that, Jesus? I, you said, I thought he was God. I thought God was omniscient. He knew everything. That's true. But then we remember that at his incarnation, there was this self-emptying that Paul referenced in Philippians chapter 2. He emptied himself never of his divinity. If you've ever heard that or his deity, that is a heresy. He emptied himself. That is, he voluntarily limited the use of his attributes, like his omnipresence, his omniscience, and the full display of his glory. Jesus did not know because he chose not to know. But listen, I'm just going to spay. I'm going to go out on a limb here, okay? I don't think that means he doesn't know today. Like that Jesus wakes up every morning. I know he doesn't sleep, but go with me. That he wakes up every morning and says, Dad, is it today? Do I get to ride the white horse today? No. I believe he has taken up once again the full use of his attributes, and he knows when he's coming back. Interestingly, after the resurrection, before the ascension, the disciples asked, this is in Acts chapter 1, by the way, um, they asked Jesus again, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is it now, Lord? Is your, is your coming about to happen? Jesus didn't say, I already told you I don't know. Don't you remember? No one knows the timing of my return except the Father. No, he said, it is not for you to know the time set by my Father. Some speculate, and again, it is just speculation, that he chose not to know at his incarnation, but he did know after his resurrection. But that's just a guess. And all of that speculation misses the point, which is, it wasn't for the disciples, and frankly, it isn't for us to know. And speculation about his coming reduces the credibility of the gospel message. I can tell you this. On April 6, 2020, the back of that car will be washed. Not only will we not know, but most will be unprepared. In fact, most will not care. This is what Jesus is saying in verses 34 to 36. Everyone can see the road signs pointing to Christ's return. Everyone should see them, but most ignore them. Explain them away. 
Jesus describes this not knowing and this unexpected coming in, in, in a very short parable. Take heed. Keep on the alert. He repeats it. For you do not know when the appointed time will come. Remember, that that's the time appointed by my Father. Then he gives us this short parable. It's like a man away on a journey who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one a, a task, also commanded the doorkeeper. We don't need to try and figure out who the doorkeeper is. It's a parable. Doorkeeper, stay on the alert. Obviously, in this parable, Jesus is the man who left on a journey when he returned to heaven. And he left his followers, that includes you, in charge. Notice, assigning to each one a task. In other words, he has left us work to do. We're going to come back to that. I'm reminded of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, which is actually part of the Olivet Discourse in Matthew's Gospel, chapters 24 and 25. And he actually told three lengthy parables in Matthew's account. Most feel Mark just kind of truncated all of those with this one short parable. But we, but we remember the parable of the talents. For example, in Matthew 25, the master left on a journey and left his servants in charge. And to one he gave five talents. That's a measure of money, by the way. And to another, two talents. And to another, to another one. And when he returns, there is a day of reckoning. We're going to have to give an account for the task that he's left us to do. To the one he gave five talents, the servant made five more. To the one he gave two talents, the servant made two more. But to the one he gave one, the servant buried it, ignoring his responsibility to do something with the task assigned, to do something with the money and the, and the, and the master, that the master had left him to do, and the master threw him out. It doesn't mean he lost his salvation. It means he never had it. The point is this, Jesus is the master and he will return and to him we will give an account. To the one who proves the reality of faith by being faithful, they will be rewarded. Well done. Well done, good and, and faithful servant. In other words, we will give an account and we want to be found faithful. Well done. So what would he say to you if he came back today? Working or distracted? Jesus goes on in our parable in Mark 13 to simply say, be on the alert. You don't know when the master of the house will return. It could be in the evening. It could be midnight when the rooster crows or in the morning. Notice those four time frames. And we remember that Mark is writing to Roman believers. And for the Romans, there were four watches in the night from 6 till 9, 9 till 12, 12 till 3, and 3 till 6. And Jesus here names them all, suggesting that he, the master, could come at, at any of those times. The point is, when least expected. You see, there is even a heightened unexpectancy here because you didn't travel at night back then. It's not like you turned on the headlights. They would not have expected him then. That's the point. But, 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 but if the slaves and the doorkeeper knew when he was coming, they would have been ready. But, but they didn't know. So it requires watchfulness, alertness, preparedness through the night because you don't want him to come in and, and be, be found sleeping. The, the sleeping is a, is a, is a simile for being, for being spiritually lethargic, asleep, 
unprepared, not alert, not ready. Again, he's not telling us not to sleep. He's telling us that he's going to come when you least expect it. I find that very interesting. He's coming at a time when you don't think that he'll come. You remember that rapture index that I talked about a few weeks ago? You know, that numerical rating by which we can identify the times most likely for Jesus to come? The author described it as a Dow Jones industrial average for end times prophecies to be fulfilled. Now, to be clear, he does not predict the rapture. He just says he identifies the periods of time when Jesus is most likely to return. You remember the numerical ratings. Uh, A rapture index of 100 or less, uh, slow, prophetic activity, 100 to 130, moderate. Uh, He spent a lot of time thinking about this. 130 to 160, heavy prophetic activity. 160 and above, remember, fasten your seatbelts. You might be interested to know that this week, the rating hit a high for 2017, 184. We are at fasten your seatbelt level, high, high alert. The level has been ranged from, uh, raised from orange to red. In fact, the, the, the all-time high was only 189. But listen, that was just last October. Jesus could come at any time. The problem here is that Jesus says he's coming at a time when we least expect it. Huh. So I got to thinking, maybe we should invert the numbers. Maybe a rating below 100 would be more likely for his return. But then I thought, but wait a minute, he knows what we're thinking. (laughs) (laughs) And we might be expecting him then, so... So maybe, just maybe we should trash the rapture index and be ready all of the time. That's the point. In the parallel passage in Matthew, Jesus likens his coming to a thief in the night. I wish we'd all been ready. Other New Testament passages, by the way, use this analogy. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord, that's his return, will come just like a thief in the night. Uh, And and then 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. It's It's a thief in the night. Jesus himself used this analogy in Revelation chapter 16, behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. Don't be caught with your clothes off. Jesus is kind of come like a thief in the night. I wish we'd all been ready. In fact, we should. Here, listen. In fact, we should all be ready which is what Jesus is encouraging us to do. That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4, two verses later, but you brothers, are, sisters, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. The thief in the night passages are not for believers, they're for unbelievers. They're not going to be prepared. You're supposed to be because we're prepared all the time. Ready, prepared so that we are not caught unaware. But how is it that we can be ready? That's the million-dollar question. All right, are we supposed to just sit around and gaze toward the eastern sky? 
Maybe we should spend all of our time going from prophecy conference to prophecy conference, keeping our eyes fixed on the end times and current events. Or maybe we should sell everything that we have, buy white rapture robes, and sit on the rooftop together singing kumbaya, waiting for him to come. That's what some did in the 1800s. That's not it. Paul had some strong things to say to the Thessalonians who had adopted this posture. See, they were really concerned about the coming of Christ. And they were, I mean, they were, they were Prophecy Conference 101. And so he says, for, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, right? Just not doing anything. He's going to come any day. Let's just run up the credit card. Uh, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now, such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. The fact is, we have many God-given responsibilities as followers of Jesus. Each one assigned his own task, you see. They include things like growing in the Word and, and sharing the Word with others, believers and non-believers alike. But it also does include our responsibilities as, as workers on a job or, or as a husband or a father or a wife or a mother or a student, a child, a neighbor, a citizen, etc. The point is we have many responsibilities that God has given us to take care of each other and, frankly, to take care of His creation. And the follower of Jesus is the one who takes all of these responsibilities very seriously, waiting for Jesus to come back. He doesn't get distracted. He doesn't live for sin and self. Okay, so Jesus wants us to get the message loud and clear. He's coming back. And we better be ready. And you say, wow, Scott, this almost sounds like a fire and brimstone message. Yeah, kind of. You see, for any unbelievers present here this morning who think there's no hurry, who believe the lie, Jesus is coming back. You might think you have all of the time in the world. You don't. And I urge you to be ready or you will be swept away in judgment. Believers, we must be ready. We prove the reality of our faith by our faithfulness, by faithfully fulfilling the responsibilities that he's given to us, by looking for and longing for the return of our Christ. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world, the world doesn't know us. It didn't know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself, even as he is pure. A follower of Jesus Christ is convinced that Jesus is coming back, and therefore lives like it. Are you... Are you in a hurry for the return of Christ? I hope so. Let's stand for prayer.
Father, would you um, forgive us for being distracted, even dividing over what a passage that is intended to to cause us to, to long for the coming of Jesus and cause us to be prepared, we've allowed a, this passage to be a distraction. Jesus, we, we know that you ascended from the Mount of Olives and the, 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 the two in white apparel appeared and said, why are, you, why are you gazing at heaven? There's work to be done. The same Jesus whom you've seen go into heaven will so come again in like manner. We long for that. We want to see Jesus return. Until then, help us to be faithful, to, to, to perform the tasks that you've given us to do, to do that well, to the honor and glory of our Christ, and help us to think often of his return. Because I believe, Father... If we would think of Jesus returning, it would change the way that we live. Impress that truth deep into our hearts today, I pray in Jesus' name.